Hi guys, it's Trevor Tolliver here and you're listening to the Blue Day Podcast. Hello Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day Podcast, I am pleased to welcome our guest on the show today. He made 68 appearances for the club and he was part of the squad that won the 1986 Full Members Cup. He also played alongside the likes of Joe McLaughlin, Kerry Dixon and Nigel Spackman. Here is Keith Dublin. Keith, welcome to the show. How are you? And uh, uh, Nice to meet you, Keith. Uh, looking forward to it, looking forward to it. I'm in, I'm in good health. I'm good, I'm good. Nice summer, coming into the autumn time, so I'm all good. I'm all good. Brilliant. Now, I want to start the interview, Keith, if I can, if you can take us back to the early part of your career. And what was that moment that made you decide that you wanted to become a professional footballer? I don't think there was a precise time, Keith. I think, you know, I think the time, the period now where we are now, you're hearing kids at eight or nine or seven sign 10-year contracts with clubs. So that sort of the period I felt, it was pretty much old for that sort of reason. I took a genuine interest when I was about 12 or 13. I loved it. You know, I took it up from that side. So in today's, today's terms, that's pretty old, you know, so... You know, I turned the schoolboy when I was 13, 14. So uh, coming from the country, from I'm, I'm originally from High Wycombe, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a country boy from heart. Coming into the, you know, your big wild world of the London smokers, we say. But uh, yeah, I went through the period of, you know, I was originally at uh, Watford, which was a local team to High Wycombe at the time. I spent about six months there. But at the same time, I was supported by Chelsea because we were at the time we were doing well in the. Uh, I don't know if they still have that now. It was the English Schools Trophy, which was for under 13s, under 14s at the time, and we done extremely well. We went all the way to the final. We had Sunderland in the final, and I think that at the time attracted a lot of scouts looking at the clubs, you know. And at the time, the High Wycombe, we had three or four. Mark West, Kevin Keane were already at uh, schoolboy forms with various clubs. So I think that was the pivotal point of, you know, me, you know, following it through because, you know, what we've done with High Wycombe at schools for such a small county and winning the National Schools Trophy brought its own attraction in itself. And who were your idols growing up as a youngster? My idols, uh, I don't know if it, you might even miss this one. My main idol at the time was Paul Maidley for Leeds United. I remember my brother played for him, you know, such a, like a Rolls Royce, you know. You know, he's more of a Rolls Royce of a defender. So I found Leeds. I used to watch a lot of Leeds because my older brother supported Leeds. So you had someone from Highwick and Buckinghamshire supporting a Yorkshire team. But I love Leeds. I love Leeds, you know. And Paul Maidley was, I think, was someone I really watched and loved the way he played. That's great. You came through the youth ranks at Chelsea. What was that like for you? And what experiences do you have of the good times and perhaps maybe some of the 
more rough times coming through the ranks? Uh, I think you're, so, you're such a naive when you're at school, boy, because you're blind. All you can see is, you know, Chelsea, the Stamford Bridge, and that's all you see. It's only till, I think, the early years of our apprenticeship, you didn't see anything. All you saw was a football and green grass. So that's all you saw. And that's all you wanted to be a part of. But, you know, you get wiser as, as the years go on with all football. But I think our early parts of the years at Chelsea, I came through with a batch of schoolboys, apprenticeships, young professionals. Unbelievable, you know. It was the same sort of era as David Rowcastle, Mickey Thomas, Tony Adams was a little bit younger. But it was that sort of generation of, of a gap between that sort of period, you know, that group of... And we, our, our, our youth team, you know, it was one of the best experiences I could have had as a young footballer because the sort of clutch of players we had as a youth team was, you know, unbelievable. You know, there's six, seven of us, I think, out of the youth team signed young professional forms at all at the same time or in that within a one-year period, you know. So we excelled as a schoolboy South East County's youth team. We, we really excelled. Really excelled. I'll say no more than some of the players, you know, the likes of Robert Isaacs, Phil Pree, Keith Jones, Robin Best, Dopey Sawyers, you know. Uh, it, it, the batch of we had was unbelievable. So, I, you know, looking back, whether three or four went on to be professionals or some you know, didn't, didn't get picked up after a certain age, 16, 17, but a period of two to three years as a youth, it was unbelievable, the youth, team, the youth sector at that period of time down at Chelsea. Now, you made your debut for the club in May of 1984. Yes. It was against Barnsley. When yes. did you know that you was going to be involved <laughs> with, with the team? And yes. did you have a conversation with John Neal beforehand? Did I, heck? I remember, I remember that, I remember that bank holiday, that same day, because how would you say, coming in for the last game, last game home season, in my headspace, coming in just to do my duties, uh, apprenticeship duties, I was a young, I think I had just signed pro, I think I had just signed, yes, I think I was in my first year because me and Keith Jones signed pro very early. So I was in pro. Clive Walker used to live very close by in High Wycombe. And I used to grab a lift in with Clive. So Clive picked me up as normal. And just going in, going in normal, coming up the M40, coming into London. And Clive sort of had an inkling. He said, I think you might play today. And I'm thinking, no. You know, didn't have any thoughts whatsoever. And I, don't, I think Clive just happened to say that on the journey in. I did not know I was playing until I arrived at the ground, went in to do my duties, normal apprenticeship duties for match days, until I looked in the trains room, saw my boots, saw my shin pads, what you normally do under the under the number three. And that's when it hit me. So if you're asking me when I did, <laughs> there you go. That's when I knew. And it's only then that uh, John Neal called me in and had a quiet word with me and said, you ready? And I said, yes. He said, they didn't give me no reason why he told me at that moment in time. He just said, 
So showing that he had that confidence in me, it made me a lot more relaxed. The only concern I had at that time, I said to John, I said, I wish my mum and dad and family were here. So don't worry, they were already being picked up and being brought into the game. Oh, brilliant. So, so <laughs> they already knew. I didn't know. I was the only one not to know. So there's your answer. And how do you think you got on on your debut? It was a bit of a, a blur, but when I look back on it and I've seen the match on it, I've done very exceedingly well. I think I went in there with no nerves because I didn't even know what to expect. Hmm. So the team who I was playing with, I think Dale Jasper played then that day, which was two years younger than, older than me, three years. So it just made it comfortable. I think, you know, the likes of Mickey Thomas was playing that day. Kerry done what he normally did. I think I just, just flew through the game. It went so quickly. And before you know it, we had one three one, And the pitch, 30,000 on the pitch, you know, it was, it was a lovely feeling, lovely memory to look back on. And knowing that my parents were there as well. Somewhere in that crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, this is Keith Lawrence, the creator of the Blue Day podcast here. And this is a special message to tell you of one of our new sponsors for the podcast. We'd like to welcome Fanatics, the leading sports manufacturer of online licensed sportswear and merchandise. They range from football, soccer, Formula One, NBA and so much more. Now, this is the best part. If you want to get your hands on some swag, go to the Blue Day Podcast Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Blue Day Podcast and on our Twitter page at the Blue Day Pod for all the necessary links. Come on, what are you waiting for? Carefree. And looking back as well, you touched on part of the, your teammates. What were your thoughts on that promotional side of 83-84? The confidence just flew through, throughout the club. You know, Kerry, uh, it just it ran right through the club from... You know, Jimmy Hendry, who was the uh, kit man, you know, from the tea ladies. It just, when you walked into the club, you just knew the club was on a high. So everyone felt comfortable. Everyone was comfortable. The team were doing well. It just ran throughout the club from top to bottom. And with the next season being back into the first division, did you have any hopes or ambitions to sort of break into the side more and be more of a first team Regular? Well, it's funny. It's funny you should say that because the season I made my debut, I made my debut on that day. And it was the last, this was the last season as a youth player. So I couldn't play any more youth games. So uh, John gave me the option and he said, look, on Wednesday, you got the second leg of the Southeast Carolina's Fradley Cup, which was... We were winning 5-1, I think. We were winning already. He said, look, I know it's your last season. Do you really want to play? And I said, yes, because this is my last game with a youth team. The On the bank holiday, in seven days, that game, in the game I played at Barnsley at home, was my sixth game in 10 days. My six, including 
combination games, reserve games, youth games, because... And then we had on the Wednesday, we had the second leg of the Fradley Cup final where we were winning 5-1 from the first leg. We said, do you really want to play? Because you're playing at Grimsby on the Saturday. I said, I'd rather play. The intentions were for me to play, and this was at Stamford Bridge, we were 5-1 up. The intentions were for me to play for the first half an hour and come off. Within 20 minutes of the first half, knowing that I don't normally get any injuries, never picked up any injuries since I've been at the club, I had I took a whack, tweaked my knee within the first 20 minutes, had to come off. Charing Cross the next day, next morning, they said, oh, it's swollen. It may be swollen, Keith. You should be all right for Saturday. They put me in every kind of bit of treatment for me to be ready for Saturday, Grimsby away. Didn't make it. The knee was swollen, couldn't make it. It turned out I had tweaked it. I'd done my ACL, but at that time it just needed rest. So I was out for six months, but it was at the end of the season. So I missed out on the Grimsby game. Never forget that. Remember taking a picture before the team travelled up. I didn't want to travel. So there you go. And then during that period of my injury, Doug came in and it took me another year before I really got back on the cusp of being back in the first thing. So there you go. There's <laughs> a case of me wishing to play on the last game for my youth team with me tonight, knowing that, Keith, you know you're playing Saturday. Yeah, but this is the last youth game. Let's just finish off. I want to finish. I want to play. There you go. You look back and, and smile. Do you feel with that decision that that may have hindered your opportunities under John Neal or was yeah. it just... Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that injury came in. They had, We got promoted and they had to be ready for the next, you know, it's we've just left that division. We've gone up now. We've got to be ready for next year. So on the back of that, I think they thought I would recover quickly, but they went and got... Uh, uh, a fellow defender in to cover that sort of position because I felt coming off the back of that, had I come back from Grimsby, it would have been a different picture. I think it was. But the club's done right. They went in there and I found it a little bit harder to get back in. You know, the structure of the team was a bit different. So, and it took, I think, another year before, a whole season before, I think it was the following season before I had a run of games, really. Well, that, well, that was it, because it was the season after that you found a bit of a rhythm and you were starting to feature more for Chelsea. Did Correct. you feel that with that, you had the confidence back as you did when you was younger and you was picking up the trophies and you was doing well in, in your younger days, that you was now going to uh, apply that to the first team? Yeah, I think I did. You know, I, I had a run. Uh, it was a very demanding club in, you know, what the fans wanted. So, you know, you, you, you get a good run, then you have a bad, you know, a bad time where form dips a little bit. As a youngster, you feel that pressure a little bit more as opposed to uh, the senior lads where you think, you know, maybe they're going to have a, a lack of form, but the manager's more willing to sort of stick with them. But it comes with life. You look back on it, I would never change it. I had a lovely experience, you know, played at the likes of Arsenal, played Arsenal at home. You know, at that time we played Arsenal at home. Colin West, youngster, scored. 
I looked at the pitch that day. Me, Keith Jones were playing. I played against, on the other side was David Rowcastle, uh, Paul Merson, same, same kids. We all went to Kingsway College together, you know? So you look on that day and we won one nil. So there's nice experiences. So, you know, I'll never change anything. So, so, you know, it comes, it comes with the territory, Keith. It comes with the territory. Sometimes you're riding the wave and sometimes you may miss the wave. Then you may have to leave the club to go again. So, such is life. What was your relationship like with Pat Nevin? Because you playing at left back for the, for the majority of your time and Pat was obviously yeah. further forward. How important was it to get that relationship going, knowing that it would be ideal for both of you to be in tangent together and and just sort of on that how important is it for a fullback to have a good relationship on and off the field with the winger further forward oh, oh like look, look so very firstly put pat was an enigma to chelsea at the time on and off you know we were a very uh, tight bunch of young young kids and the likes of paul cannibal and pat will come and sit with the youngsters Pat used to take us to lunch in Kensington. You know, parts of Kensington we didn't know. You know, Pat showed us the different side of Kensington opposed to Chelsea. You know, that that side. So I had a lovely relationship with Pat and, you know, and playing with him. You know, he gave you a lot of confidence before matches, after matches. You know, so playing behind Pat was, was an absolute pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. And at that stage of, of your time, because again, you was playing regularly in the in, in the first division. There were some notable games as well that you we were part of. At this stage of, of your career, was you happy with your development? Yeah, I think I was. Yeah. yeah, I think I was. It was a stage of, you know, kicking on. And I think it was more at the time John Hollins changed from a player coach to actual manager. But, you know... God bless his soul. Uh, John, you know, one of the best coaches I've ever played under. You know, John Neal as, as a man-manager was, you know, times, you know, the kids were, were playing in the first team at the time, Keith Jones, Terry Howard. At one time, there was three, four of us playing the likes of Aston Villa at home, you know, to look across the team and think, shit, just last season, we were playing all together in the youth team. Then looking at the first team, and we're playing the likes of Nottingham Forest, Aston Villa. So, you know, everything goes out to John Neal for believing in the kids at Chelsea at the time, giving us the chance. Then, you know, you know, he went into another position with health. And John came in as a player coach and manager. So, you know, I think the philosophy with managers have their own way in, you know, coaching and man management. I think man management and actual being a manager is two different concepts. But John Neal as a man-manager was unbelievable. John Hollins as a coach, it was a pleasure and enjoyable every day to come in. So you always felt yourself developing. So I think it was a case of getting involved in in training and being around the likes of Kerry, Joe McLaughlin, Nigel Spackman, you know, these sort of Mickey Hazard. I remember Mickey was unbelievable, you know, the sort of communication we had with from the youth team to the first team was brilliant with those sort of those sort of different characters. Colin Pates, you it was always open for us to approach him. And you know, and you forget the likes of Mickey Droy we grew up, you know, we 
you know, <laughs> there's so many different characters what at the time growing up and seeing. So, yes, you're always pushing to develop yourself, but, but sometimes, you know, there's a structure change. And no director, Ken Bates, I know he'd done a lot to the club, but he had a lot to say within how teams were playing and players being picked. So you always felt the drift of the club was changing. It was changing. It was changing. Now, in 1986, you had the full members cup final, Chelsea versus Manchester City. You was named on the bench for that game. Yeah. What is your memories of that day? Do you know what? I remember, it's funny, someone asked me that not too long ago. And I all I can ever remember, and someone reminded Keith, I was Wembley. I said, never played at Wembley. Well, I didn't play at Wembley, but I remember that day, disappointed at the beginning because I wasn't playing, but then understanding how much I had developed and where I was standing, you know, so... I remember coming up Wembley Way and thereafter it was an absolute can't remember anything else. I can remember coming up coming up Wembley Way in the dressing room, in the bath, drinking champagne, and but that's it. That's all I can remember. It's only when I see the match that I'm thinking, God, bloody hell. Keith, warm up I think you're going on, you're going, oh no, but we scored again. No, no, sit down, sit down. No, you're going on, you're going on. No, no, sit down. So, obviously, everyone knows that because the amount of goals that went in that day. So, I think John had me up and down, going on. Yes, you're going on. Yes, no, no, no. Probably about six times. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So, that's what I can remember. In and out. That's what, it was a bit of a blip. So, but it was an experience. So, the pictures don't lie. I was there. You was there, Keith. So I was there. I nearly got on. Nearly got on. What was it like, though? Because with the game, Chelsea were in control for large parts. And they scored the goals. And then Man City just sort of started creeping back in. And they were, you know, they were scoring sort of late on. And then it was, you know, the game finished 5-4. It could have gone into extra time at that point. Was you... Sort of surprised on the bench when City was coming back, and then no, because Johnny Hollins felt that because the legs were going from the boys, so we can see, and all the rest of the players were saying that our legs are gone, our legs are gone. We need the whistle to go. We need, <laughs> this cannot go into extra time. So I wanted us to win, but in again, I thought, God, if it goes in extra time, I'm definitely going to get. It. So I was being a bit selfish. I'm definitely going to go in because the boys' legs have gone. So a lot of the players' legs had gone. So we knew there was going to be some three or four changes, you know, if we if we went into extra time. But uh, we hung on, we hung on, and we didn't have to go into extra time. So that, there you go. Then it was the next season, sort of further down in 1986, you was earn your place in the side and you would keep your place in the side for large parts of that season. Yeah. How tough was it to compete with the other defenders, predominantly in, in the left back spot for that position? Because as you said, you, they Chelsea brought in Doug Rugby as well, and there yeah. was other players that were vying for that spot. How difficult was it for you to maintain that professionalism to try and stay in that spot? 
It wasn't. I don't think it was difficult. I think you, you create your own pressure. So you've been given the spot and you the manager's showing faith because you're playing you're playing continuously. I think I was I was playing three or four, probably three and a half, four, four or five, nearly half the season. You know, I was vying for the, that position, if not playing. So it was that period where the manager gave given me the opportunity, even though the team was doing it, you know, it was going through difficult periods, but he was sticking with me. It wasn't like if we had a bad result and I was thinking, oh, well, I'm not playing. It's, it was more of a case like you're in there, you've got the position. It's yours to lose, so to speak. So, you know, it wasn't, I don't think you needed gearing up. You're, you're holding the shirt. It's yours to give it away if you choose. So it, I don't think it was pressure. It was more of as, as, as an enjoyment, whether we were losing or bad, you know, it comes with the territory. I think it just comes with the territory. And just one little thing as well, when we talk about your, your time with the club, did you feel you had a good rapport with the Chelsea supporters, both home and away, or did you feel that there was some issues, especially with nah. certain results that came? Yeah, out? of course there did. Of course there was. And anyone who came through that period, you know, uh, of football, watching football, whether it's at Chelsea or whether, you know, the, the racism was, it was there. You know, if anyone was to say, no, it wasn't, it was a bit different, you'll be stupid if you was at that era. The racism was really... It was really thick and thin, but it's something you just had to, you know, blank out. So I would never change the experience. It it, it happened, and anyone would be an idiot to think it didn't happen. But was it acceptable? No, it wasn't. But it it was allowed. It, it happened, and you move on. Did it make my experience harder? Uh, you hear it. You're not you're you're, you're not oblivious to it. But uh, home and away. So that was an experience at both home and away. But from your own supporters, mm, it was more that when you heard it, not directly at it, but when it was a player of colour on the other team, it was directed at them. So it, it made it very strange. It made it strange because despite the opposing team receiving that kind of racism, you felt, well, it's directed at me. You can't just choose that racism to that particular player and because I'm playing on the other team. So you felt it the same. So it may seem a bit strange, but it happened. It happened. It happened. And with that, and obviously we know this situations and sort of the history that Paul Canneville obviously brought up in mm. terms of the racism that yeah, that occurred at Chelsea. Yeah, was there any point in your time with the club that you sort of went to sort of try to speak to somebody about the situation? No, or no, because we we wasn't... were oblivious to it. No, you know, at that time, I think we had a, such a strong youth team of a mixed colours, Italian mixture with Perry. We just had a, such a strong bond as a team as a youth player, but when we used to see it, we used to feel it, feel it so badly. For Paul, who was someone we looked up to on the other, t- experience it. And it just made us as a as a culture, as a youth culture, even more tighter as a group. It just made us so... Paul's, 
Paul's baptism of fire, he only made us stronger, you know, internally. So that's what I can see what Paul gave to us because we'll speak to him in here, tell us, look, don't take any notice of that. You just don't let that stop you. He pushed us in a positive manner by him just being out there and not accepting it by just doing what he does. You know, he can't control a crowd. He could only control what he can do. And that's what he did. I want to touch on your departure now from Chelsea. But before I yeah. do that, you, there was it was in the summer that John yeah. Collins brought in the likes of Tony Dorigo and also yeah. Clive Wilson. Yeah. With the additions to the to the team, did you believe at that point that the writing was on the wall and you felt that you may have needed to look to seek a new challenge? I I I knew I that the structure of the club was changing. I didn't feel the younger players were getting what we felt from John Neal. And I just felt the structure of the club. And at that time, I just wanted to play. I just wanted to play. Hadn't haven't played, you know, 2021, haven't played all those games. I just thought, it's great being at Chelsea. I've come through the youth team, played at first team. But I saw the changing of the guard and I just said, you know what? I needed to get out of here. And at that time, the reserve team manager, Martin Henshawwood, had left and had gone down to Brighton. Uh, a couple of other players were leaving. Keith, my, my best mate, he was, he was looking, staying in London. He was going off to Brentford. I nearly went to Brentford, but Martin, we loved him. We saw him as a second father, Martin Henshawwood, who looked after the youth team at Chelsea. Uh, went down to Brighton and convinced me to come down to Brighton. Probably one of the best, the best decisions I've ever made. One of the best decisions, if not going to be a footballer, one of, after being a footballer, one of the best decisions I've made in football. And was it easy to sort of decide, as you said, when you spoke to Adam about moving down to Brighton and deciding, you know what, this is best for my career. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what? At the time, the nostalgia of everyone was saying, oh, Keith, you're leaving. Why? Oh, I can't believe you. You're, leave, you're leaving Chelsea First Division and going down to Brighton Third Division. Didn't make any difference to me because I believed in myself. And at that point, I just wanted to play. Having had, I think the fact that I've played that amount of games at such a, high division, it just, anything other than that, anything lower than Chelsea or the first division is going to be easy for me. That's how I felt. It's going to be easy because I'm coming with that kind of experience at such a young age. And I think it was, it was the bit, how it, people say, well, what sort of decisions? Well, it's one of the best divisions. Things I did because I went down there, the third division, we smashed uh, we've done, I think we went up in the first season with Sunderland. We went up, uh, finished the season. Then the next, that same season, I went, I left. Uh, Chelsea came down. Hmm. <laughs> Say no more. So was it the best decision I left? I left Chelsea in the first division, went to Thingy Rob Brighton. Chelsea had that kind of season. Uh, last game of the season, I was down the Kings Road having a drink with some of the Brighton players relaxing. We had just got promoted. 
Chelsea was playing the last game of the season. Keith should have never left, should have never left. That same day, I was down and listened to the crowd. Chelsea got relegated. Played them in the, the, that next year in the second division. So people say, was it the right decision? Or was it a good decision? Well, in my eyes, I made the best decision for myself because there you go. Yeah. So there you go. Folks, we interrupt this show by uh, wanting to tell you about our sponsor, Manscaped. We are delighted Manscaped are part of the Blue Day podcast. They have the tools for your family jewels. You don't want smelly nuts. You want to impress your wife, your girlfriend, or in fact, your mistress. Well, look no further than Manscaped. Yes, folks, Manscaped are back. The best in male grooming. Manscaped are committed to helping men around the world walk and talk with some swagger this season with the best grooming tools on the market. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and enjoy this exclusive offer. 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code BDP. That's Blue Day Podcast. Promo code BDP at manscaped.com. Don't neglect your beautiful self and get right this year with Manscaped. With this offer, you will get the slickest version of the Performance Package 4.0, the perfect package that will deal with your package. It comes with the Lawnmower 4.0, equipped with skin-safe technology to minimise nicks and cuts for your nuts. It also comes with the Crop Reviver Groin Spray. I can tell you from experience, this has taken my confidence into the bedroom to a whole new level. Not only do I smell good, but it also helps out in terms of the bedroom department as well. Want something you don't mind showing that's special someone in your life? Look no further than the Manscaped Boxers 2.0. These are without a doubt the best boxers for men of all ages. I can confidently say I'll never go back to cotton boxer briefs after wearing these. Once again, folks, Manscaped supports the Blue Day podcast so much that they provide an an exclusive offer for our listeners. That is you, by the way. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code BDP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code BDP. Feel like yourself again and take charge of your life with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you for it. Let's talk about current events, if we can, and one particular matter that has dominated football. In fact, some people might say it's ruined football, and that's VAR. What's your stance on it? Keith, Keith. People ask me, do do I watch a lot of football? I do not watch a lot of football now. I I swear, the missus will go to me. I will go out for dinner. The cup final could be on. A serious league game could be on. And and someone said, well, Keith, you want to watch the football? No, we won't. Just book the table. You watch it. You catch the highlights. I think the interest of VAR, I can't complain from the era I played in. I always judged an era as George Best, you know, that era everyone talks about, oh, could George Best? No, he couldn't have played in this era because it's completely different. It's different structure. Judge, judge a structure on the era you played in. That's all you can do because the game moves to a different stage and doing different things. VAR, I don't understand it. Well, when I say I don't understand it, 
it's just taking football to robotic. It's it, it's it's stupid. Keith, uh, put it this way: we can have a discussion until the till the cows come home. I have no response to it whatsoever. It's sorry, Var. It's wait a minute. His elbow is out of line. I think it's it's going to be just how how his toe. If you look at the point of his toe, it's out of line. It's definitely going to be offside. But Var said they've done the check. His elbow's slightly out. He's offside. How how how? You, there's no there's, to me. There's no conversation. It's 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 a pointless topic. It's a pointless topic. It's not football. It's just taking the human error of a, you know, the talking point for the fans. Oh, I can't believe they've given it offside. The referee didn't see it. Human error. That was football. You know, the referee giving it. It was never a penalty. Yeah, look at it now in a replay. Yeah, it was a penalty. Oh, we lost that. Referee made a mistake. That was football. Now it's. I said it, and funny you should say that. I said it to a friend the other day. In my lifetime, I will not be surprised when you see 22 players run out on a pitch with no referee. There you go. Let's hope not. But not why? What, what's the point of a referee now? Think about it. 22 players, play. Just kick, kick the ball. VAR will do everything. Don't need a referee. Don't need a referee. The referee's making a decision, but VAR's telling him, you need to come and check. Well, what's the point of me doing out here? So, there you go. There, That's the next, I pray to God I don't see that in my generation, but I hope I do not witness that. But that's the, that's probably for the next, in 20, in 20 years. Football was playing without no referees. Because I don't understand that. I really don't. That'd be a crazy <laughs> thing to think about if that doesn't. No, you know, but who would have thought about VAR 15 years ago? Oh, you know what? In 15 years, we're going to have VAR where, what do you mean by VAR? Well, video evidence, if it's offside, where we can pull back. So so the team can have a, the team's got an opportunity to appeal to the referee. Look, you've got to go and check your camera because it, it, there's a chance it was, like, oh, you know what? Put the pr- pressure on the referee. There you go. Because there's an element for teams now to have a structure, a business plan, how to approach the referees on VAR. To put pressures on, go and check. check. What's it? You, you've got nothing to lose. It's not like you've got free, free efforts. <laughs> you don't get fouled out on the third. We've got two, like tennis. <laughs> you don't have you got one. You got you got one call remaining, Keith. No, call as many times as you want. There you go. That's me saying it clearly. Well, that's your views on VAR. There isn't. There isn't. I I can't put it this way, Keith. I'll be honest with you. If there was a conversation, a forum to talk about VAR, I will have no interest of entering that forum to talk about VAR. There isn't a conversation. Well, let's move on from VAR. I think that's yes. the best. Let's, let's move yes. on from VAR and talk about more so, so, something more frustrating. And Go that on. Is Chelsea of today, Chelsea of 2023, and it's been oh. an absolute 
been an absolute shambles of a year for Chelsea Football Club, it has to be said. Um, new manager, again, obviously new players, a whole, pretty much a whole new team. What's been your take on Chelsea of today? Uh, is it, are you going to give somebody time to develop a team? If you're going to buy these players, what is the time span? Have I got a time span? Or are we on shareholders who are looking for instant gratification? That's where you are now. You're either going to give me time to develop this team because you spent 1B, 800 million, or are your shareholders looking for instant European Cup? We need the European Cup today. It's not going to happen. So you're either going to allow me to develop. Now, that comes, Keith, with, well, how long do you need? How long's a piece of string? So the answer to that question is, I don't know. I, I don't know. You have to, is, is Pochettino a very good manager? He's an excellent manager. But are you going to let him put his stamp on Chelsea? Or is it a case that we're going to have to accept some humiliation during the season? Are you strong enough to stand by him? Or not? Are we? Are we as a club? We might face some turbulence this season. We may not even get into the top four. We may come out of the the FA Cup in the first round. Uh, we might come out of the Carabao Cup, and then we look. We're going into May, and we're fourteenth with all this money spent. We're not going to get into Europe. We're at the FA Cup. Do we do a knee-jerk? He's got to go. Well, the same, the same, the same manager's got the same situation. So, do we open ourselves up to? We may not get into Europe. We just may not. Is that acceptable? So, I, I, I don't know. I, I, Keith, I cannot, I cannot. And as, as they say, I never believe on the well. I hope we have a good season. I don't do hope. It's either this or that. So I, the, the million-dollar question to that story, I, the thing is, I don't even know how Chelsea play. I was down, what game did we just come back from at the weekend? And it was that memorable because I'm struggling to remember what game I was down. It was Chelsea, Aston Villa. Uh, I don't even know what structure we play. Right. I, I I don't Not know. Many people do these days. I don't I don't know the formats. <laughs> I, I, I I I don't know, and that's nothing bad. About I'm not being negative about Chelsea. It's Chelsea are trying to find a structure which suits God knows how many players. Yeah. And that is a painful. Can you buy success? You can buy success, and you you know, but because look at Man City, they've spent money, they spent big money, but there's a structure. They spent. People don't realise because it's overriding what Chelsea. They brought a, a, a defender. I can't remember his name. Spent fifty, sixty million for him. That's a lot of money. 
They spent another what, 45. They let coal go. So they have a mechanism. Forget about they've won the They actually have a working rule of thumb mechanism. And that's what Chelsea don't have at the moment. Finally, Keith, last question from me anyway. How would you look back on your time at Chelsea? Great. I wouldn't change it. Whether the mits, the mishaps, leaving, the period we left, I wouldn't change everything because I look back and smile and some of the, the great, you know, Dalgleish, Rush, Soonis, I, I happen to be on the pitch with some of them kind of it's good memories. I wouldn't change the thing. Wouldn't change the thing. As I would say my experience, like, it's just like going to your, your job. You know, you have good experience and you have great experience and you have better experiences. That's right. But would I change a thing? Wouldn't change a thing. Because the racism side of it, and that's not me pulling out being negative, you look at racism because, and then you turn around and things have changed. Things have got better. Things have developed. Because it's quite funny now, because you see Chelsea, it's an influx of nationalities. So <laughs> things have changed. So, but no, I wouldn't, Keith, I wouldn't change a thing. Wouldn't change a thing. Wouldn't change it. Not, not a thing. Not to some of the people you've met during that journey, you know, and still speaking to this day, you know, the likes of Paul, Pat Nevin, and I see Gary Chivers, and I see, you know, yeah, I wouldn't change. Life's made of experiences. So I've had a great, great time. Well, Keith, we've had a great time having you on the show. I appreciate your time and it's been a pleasure to talk all things Chelsea with you and hopefully one okay. day we will see you back at the bridge quite soon as well. Okay. Well, Keith, it was a lovely experience. Uh, so thanks for the invitation. Much appreciated and keep doing the good work you're doing with the podcast, my friend.